you. Thank you very much, and thank you all for coming today. Uh, it's lovely to see so many of you so early on a Sunday morning. Um, I'm Helen Scales. Uh, I am a marine biologist. Um, and just in case any of you are wondering, um, that is my real name. Uh, we just have to get that cleared up. Um, and I'm going to be here. I'm going to talk to you today about sharks. Um, I want to start off, though, with a question for all of you guys. And actually, I need a bit of help with this. So if anyone, I need someone who's good at counting um, and can count quite nice and quickly, who will come up on stage here just for a minute and help me out with a question I have. So who would like to come up and help? Who's good at counting? There's a good hand in the middle there, sir. Would you like to come up? Oh, yeah, squeeze out. That's fantastic. While our volunteer makes his way to the stage, I will tell you the question that I want all of you to answer. It's going to be hands up, yes or no. And I hope you all know the answer to this question. Um, and that is, are you scared of sharks? So let's see. Hi, thanks for coming up. What's your name? Matthew. Matthew. Thank you, Matthew. So what we're going to do, Matthew, is we, we have asked this question, are you scared of sharks? And we're going to count how many yeses and how many noes there are with people's hands up. Maybe just quickly. We'll see how we get on. And we'll write that down. And we'll, I'll, you do it and I do it. And we'll see how close we get. Okay? Is that, is that a deal? Yeah. Excellent. All right. So... Are you scared of sharks? Shall we go with, I think we'll go with the yeses first. So hands up if you are scared of sharks. Okay, do you want to see? All right. Do you want to see how many you can count? I've got 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 30 on that side. I think your Matthew's going to have a much better idea than I am. How many did you get? 71. 71. I think I got about 30 there, about 40 here, and another 30 here. So what's that? 40, 70. That's more like 100. Okay. Somewhere between 70 and 100 says yes. How many of you say no, you're not scared of sharks? Oh, wow. Ooh. Right, that's possibly even more. Shall we just have a rough count, shall we? Okay. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16. There's got to be at least 50 of you there. <laughs> One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Another 20 up there. I'm going really broad, broadly now. Um, so I reckon 30, 50, 80, 90, 100. That's got to be at least another 30. I'm doing very roughly now. Let Matthew do the hard work. Somewhere between 70 and 100. Has that, have any of you changed your mind already? I hope not. <laughs> How are you doing? You think 90? Excellent. I think it might even be 120. So I'm going to go 90 to 120 on no's and 70 to 100 on yeses. Matthew, thank you very much. Big round of applause for Matthew. Do take your seat. And that's lovely. So I think we might just have the edge on no's this already on who is, who is not scared of sharks. But we'll see how we get on. Thank you all very much.
for your answering my question. And my answer to that question, um, am I scared of sharks, is definitely no. Um, sharks are one of my most favorite groups of animals from the ocean that I love to see and spend time with when I'm diving. Um, this is a picture of me um, with some bull sharks. Those are the bull sharks there, that's me. Bull sharks are one of the largest species of sharks that they live in the ocean. They do have a reputation for being a bit more aggressive. But um, I have all my fingers, I have all my toes. Um, they weren't interested in eating me at all. It's, it's, um, they aren't these mindless killers who are just out there to try and eat whatever they can find under the water. I spent a long, several hours swimming with these wonderful creatures, um, and it was a great experience for me to see them up close. And I don't think they really ever looked at me as if I was food. Um, I've been very lucky to spend time with all sorts of sharks under the, under the waves. I swam with whale sharks, the biggest fish in the oceans, definitely the biggest shark. Um, absolutely wonderful. And those are, we know that whale sharks are harmless. Um, they, all sharks do eat meat. They are all carnivores. Um, but whale sharks eat very tiny, tiny creatures, zooplankton and little tiny fish. They open up their enormous mouths and they filter um, the water for their food. So really, whale sharks are definitely harmless creatures. They aren't going to do us any harm. Um, in Australia, I've swum and seen these strange sharks, tasseled wobbegongs. If you can just about make out, there is an eye in the middle there. And they have amazing camouflage. These are sharks that are flattened and they live down on the seabed. And they have this wonderful kind of beard around the edges and that helps to camouflage them. Um, and these wobbegongs are ambush predators. What they do is they hide on, on the seabed and hope that nothing notices it. And then when something comes past, perhaps a fish or a crab that they want to eat, then they leap into action and grab their food. So they're wonderfully camouflaged sharks and uh, generally very still and quiet and sit down on the seabed. Um, I've also seen these guys, zebra sharks, another shark that sits on the seabed. And that's one of the stories you often hear about sharks is that they have to keep swimming to breathe. Um, and that's not true. Some of them do. And I'll explain a little bit more about how they breathe in a minute. Um, but zebra sharks and wobbegongs and various other sharks show that you d they don't actually have to keep swimming. They're fine on the seabed. Um, and they sit there quietly, um, hoping that nothing will notice them. And they carry, carry on their quiet lives. I've also uh, worked in California with blue sharks. These are sharks that swim through the open ocean. They are high-speed, wonderful, um, speedy predators, and they will chase after sharks through the open water. Um, and when I was working on them, we were tagging them um, to try and understand more about where they move. And we'll talk a bit more in a minute also about sharks um, and their journeys that they make through the oceans. But you don't have to go to California, you don't have to go to Australia to see wonderful sharks. I've seen some brilliant sharks around our home island here in Britain. And here is a photo I took, uh, a couple of photos I took in Devon, um, of a newly hatched small spotted cat shark. Now, um, if any of you have been to the beach, and I hope lots of you have spent time at beaches, you may have seen things like this on, uh, on the beach, a mermaid's purse. Um, and that is actually the egg case of sharks like that small spotted um, cat shark that I found. So here's it inside. So the females will lay these egg cases on the seabed, tied up in seaweed like this, and then the individual little shark will grow inside that little case, and eventually it'll hatch. And that's what I found was this little shark. And it was just in the shallows. We were just next to the beach. I wasn't diving. And I saw this little shark swimming past. 
and um, picked it up for just a minute and took its photo before letting it go. It was absolutely fine. Uh, eventually, that sport, it would grow to about a metre long, and they're very common, these sharks live all the way around our coasts, um, and completely harmless, beautiful little creature that I found. Um, so next time you see a, a mermaid purse, you know where it came from. Lots of other types of sharks and, and their relatives lay similar sorts of eggs, but that's what they are, they're shark eggs. Another British shark we get is the basking shark, the second biggest fish in the oceans. They're, they're summer visitors that come to our shores um, when the, warmers, the waters warm up and they come filled with green phytoplankton, the tiny plants that feed the tiny animals, that feed the huge, huge sharks. So we get some really wonderful, wonderful sharks in our waters in the summer times. Another British shark um, is the angel shark, another flattened creature. Um, if you look at this picture, it's really hard to spot it, actually, but it is in there, really brilliantly camouflaged, a bit like the wobbegong. Um, and this was a species of shark that was really common around um, our islands, around the British Isles, but unfortunately, um, it has been rather heavily fished. Um, they've been targeted because some people eat them, and they've also been accidentally taken by fishing nets because uh, they're so big. And now they're considered to be critically endangered, so there's not many of them left. But you can go to the Canary Islands off the coast of Africa, and there's one little place left where these guys still live. So all sorts of wonderful sharks we have. Um, this is one more. You'd have to go into the deep sea to find this one. But they do live in the Atlantic around our islands. The bramble shark. The reason I've got a, a drawing and not a photograph is because they're very rarely actually seen. And when they are, they've been dragged up from the depths from maybe 100 or so metres down, more than that. Uh, and they don't look too great at that point. So a drawing gives you an idea. And they are called bramble sharks because they have spiky skin. They have these wonderful, um, yeah, sort of thorns all over their bodies. Um, gives them their name, the bramble shark. And, and we think it's so that they, it stops them from being uh, eaten by other things and maybe stops parasites from sticking onto their skin. So down in the deep ocean around our island, we have all sorts of lovely sharks. Um, and the bramble shark is one you might encounter if you went that far down. Now, sharks are, um, they are members of a group of the fish called the elasmobranchs. Um, that's a subclass, if you're interested in what we're talking about taxonomically, it doesn't really matter, but um, they have lots of close relatives, so it's the sharks, as well as stingrays and rays, things like this lovely manta ray, that's a shark relative. Um, they are huge, they swim through the open ocean on these great big wings, which they flap like giant birds through the ocean. Um, spotted eagle rays swim in a similar way, they flap their wings and they swim through the water. And then you've got stingrays, which sit on the seabed. Um, they also live in rivers and uh, in lakes. Um, and they too show that they don't have to swim to breathe. They can sit down quite happily. Um, this one is from the Amazon rainforest, uh, from the rivers there. And uh, really beautiful patterning on things like these stingrays. And, uh, and there again, another relative of the sharks. Um, there are some weird shark relatives you may never have heard of, a bit more obscure, things like this sawfish which looks a bit like a shark from the side, but it has this great big long snout covered in teeth. And they use those to hunt. They swim through a shoal of sh fish, um, slash their, their noses around, um, and then they'll eat lots of the dead fish which they've managed to impale um, and, and and by using that wonderful weapon on their noses. Um, and uh, finally, another weird group of shark relatives are the chimeras, or ratfish. Now, these mostly live in the deep sea, so you wouldn't really see them that much in the shallower waters. Um, they're called ratfish, I think, because they have this rather long tail. It looks a bit ratty, perhaps. Um, and, and they're generally a bit smaller than sharks, but um, they, are, they are sort of an ancient relative of sharks that live all the way around the world, and as I say, mostly down in the deep sea.
So, those are just a few of the sorts of things you might think of when we uh, are talking about sharks um, and the kind of creatures that they are. Um, in total, there's about 450 species of sharks alive today, and maybe 500 species of rays and manta rays and stingrays as well. So, all in all, the elasmobranchs are about 1,000 species. But the question is, well, um, what makes a shark a shark? How do we know that we're looking at a shark and not some other type of fish, another sea creature that lives in the ocean? Now, there's not one thing we can see and say, well, that's definitely a shark because it has this, but it's a collection of features which you can look for and, uh, and it will give you an idea that perhaps this is definitely a shark that we've got. So firstly, they have a mouth on the underside, an underslung mouth as we call it, um, and, um, and they actually have jaws that are able to come forwards out of their, out of their bodies, uh, out of their mouths, so that they can grab onto prey ahead of them. Um, so that's just a picture of a quite a large shark, maybe something like a great white shark, and they have this ability to sort of throw their jaws forwards to be able to eat. And inside their mouths, there are lots of teeth. And shark teeth are one thing that are really quite indicative of the fact that we have a shark. Um, could we go to the visualizer, please? Um, I've got some shark teeth here. And uh, these are actually mostly um, fossil uh, shark teeth from, from species that have gone extinct. Um, but you can, uh, it's really the remains of sharks that we generally find in the fossil record um, are their teeth. And we learn a lot about the animals they were from them. Um, so this one in particular, let me just zoom in on this one. This one comes from a crusher shark. And uh, I've got a photograph of it here. Oh, no, actually, no, we'll go back to that in a sec. Don't worry. Um, first, we'll look at the tooth. And it's... Um, if you see, it's got these sort of um, uh, ridges along it. Can I do autofocus? Oh, there we go. So it's got, it's a, these are, um, this is a tooth from a, a, a species of shark which lived about 300 million years ago um, in the Devonian. And it's, uh, it's got this crushing plate on its tooth with these ridges across it. And they would have used this tooth to, uh, to munch on uh, crabs, uh, well, sort of crustaceans, things with hard shells, um, for crushing mollusks and things like that, sea snails. Um, so that's, and that's a type of tooth that we see in sharks quite a lot today. Um, you see other species that have these, these grinding, uh, crushing teeth. Can we flick back to the uh, projector quickly? And I'll show you a picture of that one. So this one is Tychodus, the crusher shark, this 300 million year old shark. Uh, and that's the tooth that's come from it. I should say that all the fossils I'm going to show you today come from the Sedgwick Museum, the Earth Sciences Museum here in Cambridge. They very kindly lent me some of their specimens. Um, and if you haven't been to that museum, definitely go and have a look. Uh, they've got some wonderful uh, dinosaurs and all sorts of wonderful fossils to see. So do go and have a look at them. So that's, that's where all my teeth come from. Um, lovely. Can we go back to the visualizer? So that's the crusher shark. Um, another type of shark, shark tooth that's very common are these spiky uh, teeth. Now, these come from sand tiger sharks. Um, again, these are fossil versions, but we get modern ones today. And you can see how they're, they're um, very uh, long and spiky. Um, they have a mouth full of these teeth. So sharks have lots and lots of teeth. Um, they grow on a kind of conveyor belt that rolls forwards. And, uh, and if their teeth fall out, which happens quite a lot, a new one falls in place. Uh, pushes in place from the back, and some sharks will lose maybe 10, 30,000 teeth um, in their lifetime and grow new ones. So they have a lot, a lot of teeth, and that's why we find so many of them in the fossil record. Um, but these spiky teeth from the sand tiger shark will be good for catching fish, for small fish, um, for spiking onto things, uh, yeah, like little fish that are swimming around, and their mouths will just grab onto them, and, uh, and then they can swallow down those little fish. And so these are two types of teeth you get in sharks, the, the crushing type and the spiky tooth, uh, 
like these ones, the spiky triangles. And I've got one here which I want to show you. This isn't a fossil tooth. This is a, well, this is one I actually found myself just after. It's a bit small, I can see it there. That photograph of me diving with bull sharks was taken in Fiji, and I picked this tooth up just after that dive. Um, so this is a bull shark tooth. And can you see get an idea. Just to go out a bit, sorry. Doesn't want to now. Oh, there we go. There. Well, you should get an idea of how big it is from my finger there. And it's got this pointy end to it uh, and sort of serrated sides to it. So what the bull sharks are using their teeth for, it's not just grabbing onto fish, but also getting bigger food, and they use those serrated edges like knives, and so they'll be using their teeth to chop off bits of larger bits of prey and swallow them down. Not me. No, no human divers were harmed in the making of this tooth, but it showed me when I was doing that dive how a lot of their teeth do fall out, and the sharks we saw were being fed, and we went along afterwards and we found these teeth lying on the seabed after they'd had their food. So that's a, a bull shark tooth from, from Fiji. And um, great whites have similar sorts of teeth with um, serrated edges. And again, they use their teeth as knives. So, so really, shark's teeth are kind of a toolkit for them to eat all sorts of different types of food. Um, and it allows sharks not just to be hungry predators after great big fast-moving prey, but they'll eat all sorts of different things um, in the oceans too. Uh, so those are some teeth. Um, can we go back to the collective? Um, another thing you can look for uh, to see that you have a shark, um, that's what you're looking for, is their gills. Now, they have five of these, most sharks have five slits down the sides of their body, the gill slits. Um, I mentioned already that some sharks do have to keep swimming to breathe, but some can sit down on the bottom. A lot of sharks have what they call, uh, what's called ram uh, ventilation, and they swim along with water flowing into their mouths um, over their gills, which are inside them, and then the water flows out along these five gill slits. Um, there are other species, like the, the zebra shark, will actually breathe in through a hole on the top of its head and then out through its gills. And that's how it can sit down on the seabed, and it's, it's fine. Not all sharks have five gill slits, although most of them do. Here's a species, again, that lives around the British Isles in the deep ocean. Um, you can see the depth there was 1,828 feet, so pretty deep. And this is the blunt-nosed six-gill shark. And I think if you can count there, there should be about six gills on the side of it. And here's another one, the seven-gill shark. And then that one's also got uh, seven gills there. So mostly they have five, but occasionally you'll see a shark with six or seven-gill slits on the side. And I should say that if you're looking at any other type of fish, um, so sharks are a type of fish within a bigger family, but if you're just looking at sharks, you'll see these slits on the sides of its body, but other fish, are they're covered over with a, a covering called an operculum, so you don't see these lines. So that's one way you can know that you are, you're, def you know, you're looking at a shark. Sharks also have quite distinctive fins. You're probably familiar with a dorsal fin, which is the triangle that jaws stuck up against above the water as it swam along in the movie. Um, and the sharks will swim just beneath the surface and they will stick their, their fins up. The dorsal fin helps to stabilize them. The pectoral fins, the big side ones, they, are, um, they don't move a lot. Most other fish have got quite mobile fins, but sharks are quite stiff. Um, and they act a bit like an aeroplane wing. They give them lift and help them to swim along and uh, not just sink too quickly. And then you've got various other fins too along the body. And importantly, we've got the tail, um, which is asymmetrical. 
And if you were to look at the skeleton of a shark, you'd see that its backbone goes onto the top part of its tail, which is generally longer, and the bottom end uh, is shorter. And this helps to create more push through the water when they're swimming as well. Um, another thing to look for uh, if you want to know that you've got a shark in front of you is look at its skin. This is a very um, highly, um, uh, this is their skin looked on, uh, seen under a microscope. Um, they don't have scales like normal fish, but they have tiny little teeth, these denticles. Um, they formed in the same way as the teeth that we've looked at, um, but this is all over their bodies. Um, they have these tiny structures, um, which we know help them to swim really efficiently through the water. It cuts down drag, and it makes them silent. It means they're much less noisy as they swim through the water. Um, so denticles are a, a key characteristic of sharks. And it means that, um, for example, when I had that little shark that I, was, uh, that I picked up in Devon, if I gently stroked my finger down from head to, to its tail, it was nice and smooth, but backwards it was very rough. Um, and that's because of these tiny teeth, they're all facing backwards. Um, and that's how it helps it to swim along really nicely and efficiently. Something else you can look for in a shark uh, are little holes on the underside of its nose, little spots that look like they're covered in blackheads. Um, these are called the ampullae of Lorenzini. Don't worry about the word, but um, it basically gives the shark the ability to detect electricity in the water. And this is an amazing sense that sharks have. Some other fish do have this ability, but all the sharks, we think, do have the ability to detect, to detect really tiny, tiny electric currents in the water. Um, and what they really are after is the electric currents that are created when any living creature um, moves its muscles and twitches. Because we're all electric creatures. We, our nerves are electricity. Our muscles work by electric uh, signals. Uh, so what sharks are doing is they're detecting maybe where they can't see, um, but perhaps in the sand or perhaps beyond their vision, they can detect the presence of something that they might want to eat or possibly that they might want to swim away from. Um, Hammerhead sharks, a wonderful species of shark, have these great big heads. And um, one theory that they might, while it's such an odd shape, is that they've got a nice big area for these pores which detect electricity. So they kind of act like a metal detector and they can swim along and see what they can find um, beneath them in the water or perhaps on the seabed. And they're so sensitive that actually these individual pores can detect five nanovolts, um, which is about 30 billion times weaker than a double A battery, the normal battery you'd use around the house. So they're incredibly sensitive uh, to electricity, so they can use that as an amazing sense. Sharks can see, they have vision, they can hear, but they have these other senses too that uh, help them to find their way through the oceans and uh, find their food. Now there's a couple other things that we can look at to identify a shark on the inside. Um, if you were to look inside a shark, you'd see that its skeleton is made of cartilage. Um, our skeletons are made of bone, um, that's why we kind of have nice stiff arms and legs and we can move ourselves around. Um, but sharks have replaced most of that bone with stuff called cartilage. And we all have cartilage in our bodies. If you feel uh, the base of your nose, um, you should see this sort of a sharp edge around here. Um, now that's where your bony skull comes to an end. Uh, and that's so, so most of your head is made of bone. But the end of your nose is cartilage. And the reason that I can bend mine around, and I suspect you can too, is because that's cartilage. And that's, the whole, that's what a shark makes all of its skeleton out of. It's the cartilage that you have in your nose. And they do this. Evolution has adapted sharks to be incredibly efficient at swimming. Um, and so they've cut down their weight of having a bony, heavy skeleton and replaced it with cartilage. That the skin I was telling you about that makes them more efficient at swimming, that helps too. 
So really, sharks have, have evolved to be super efficient predators. So they don't have to eat as often. They don't use up as much energy as they might if they were big and heavy and kept sinking down all the time um, in the water. And there's one more thing you can look for inside a shark uh, that will help you tell that that is indeed what you're looking at and not another sea creature. And for this, I, I'm going to do a little demonstration. And I'm going to need a bit of a, a help. So who would like to come and help me this time? Who have we got? OK, red T-shirt in the middle there. Do you want to come out? That's lovely. Thank you. Um, so as I say, actually, could we switch over to the camera, please? As I was saying, sharks are very efficient. Um, they've learned how to become very energy efficient, cut down the amount of energy they need to swim. And one of the problems, even though they have replaced their skeleton with cartilage, that they do still find themselves quite heavy and they will sink down. Hello, hi, what's your name? Gavin. Gavin, thank you for coming up, Gavin. Now, what I'm going to do is quite a simple experiment I want you to give me a hand with to show what's going on with um, the shark's liver. So sharks have very big livers and they're full of oil. And we're going to show everybody today why they do that and what's good, what, what's, um, what's good about it. Now, I hope you don't mind potentially getting a little bit wet what I'd like you to do, first of all, is just pour that. This is just normal tap water. If you could just pour that into that bottle there, that would be lovely. And we're going to make two artificial shark livers. And we're going to do two different things to them and see what the difference is. That's brilliant. I'll do this one as well. Perhaps I'll get going. Whoops. Told you we'd get wet. There we go. I think that's enough. Okay, brilliant. Fantastic. Now, so what I've got here are some balloons, which are going to be our livers. Brilliant. Um, now, we're going to put a couple of coins in them, because I want to weigh them down a bit. So could you put that, that's just a, a one penny piece. We put that inside that balloon, and I'll put this one inside this one. Can you do that? Put that inside there. So it's just a normal party balloon. Mine's got a penny in it, and yours is fine. Excellent. Now, what I want to do is I want to fill that up with water. Do you, would you like to do this or would you like me to do it? Do you want to have a go? Do you want to hold it and you we'll see what we can do? Let's do it over the table in case you make a mess. It doesn't have to become too far open. Just hold it just like that. There we go. Right. We're not going to inflate it. We'll just fill it up with water until uh, it starts to reach the top. Oh, there we go. Shall I try and t tie that off now? Or is it? Yeah, I'll give that one. <laughs> you dry off afterwards, don't worry. Okay, so I'll just tie this balloon off. So this one is... There we go. So there's our balloon filled with water and a penny in it. We'll pop that there for a minute. Now, in here I've got vegetable oil. Uh, I'm going to do the same thing. Do you want to try pouring that one in? Are you happy to do that? I've got some kitchen towels if you do make a mess. I can clean you up afterwards. Do you want to hold that? So there we go. Brilliant. So this is just normal cooking oil. There we go. Perfect. Brilliant. And I'll tie that one off as well. It's pretty slippery. There we go. Excellent. Now, while I'm just tying this off, what we're going to do is we're going to drop them into this column of water, which is our mini ocean. Now, what do you think is going to happen to these two different balloons? We've got one filled, basically the same weight, but this one's filled with water and this one's filled with oil. And I'm going to drop them in. And what do you think might happen? The one with vegetable oil will float because it's lighter. I think you might be right. Do you want to try first? Let's have a go with the water one and hopefully... Right, that one sunk to the bottom. Good. Okay, that's what I was expecting to happen. Excellent. Shall we try this one now? It's a little bit greasy. We'll, we'll get you cleaned up. Let's see. Fingers crossed. Hey! It has floated. We were absolutely right. Well done. Fantastic. How are you doing? Do you want to clean up a bit? 
There you go. Thank you very much, Gavin. Do take a seat. Um, so uh, that basically, it's just to show that, uh, yes, oil floats in water um, more than, so the balloon filled with oil was, was, is floatier than the balloon filled with water. And that's why sharks have enormous livers. Can we go back to the presentation, please? Some sharks have about a third of their body is made up with a big oily liver. Um, and in fact, for years, um, people hunted sharks uh, to, um, to extract the oil from their livers. It was a source of vitamin A uh, before we knew how to make vitamin A. Um, I don't know. Can we, can we go back over to the presentation? I don't know if we're still waiting. We'll wait for a few minutes. Um, uh, we, we used shark oil uh, as a source of vitamin A. We used the oil to, uh, to use in lighting. Um, so for a long time, sharks were exploited for, for their livers, but they have them so that they can float. And this is, this is helping them to become super efficient in the water. Um, with, even with their cartilage skeleton, they still have a weight and they will still sink down. So they have an enormous liver to help buoy them up and to keep them floating so they don't have to expend quite as much energy swimming um, as, uh, as they do and as they would otherwise. Um, so, there we go. A very big liver is something else that you can look for in a shark. Other fish actually have a balloon of air inside them, and they use that to help them to be buoyant. Um, but sharks do it differently. They use, they use oil. So there we go. That's just my introduction to some of the sharks and what you can look for if you want to know that you're looking at a shark. But let's go back in time now and have a look at uh, some of the ancient sharks that used to roam the oceans. We say there was about 400 shark species now, maybe 450. There used to be thousands of other sharks that have come and gone since they first evolved about 450 million years ago. So they've been around for a very, very long time. We've had weird sharks that have evolved that still puzzle us. We don't really know why. So this one is Stephacanthus. Um, it has this very strange structure on its back, on its head, a sort of brush-like thing sticking up. And we don't know why. We just don't know what that's about. Um, still trying to come up with ideas of what that was, what they were up to. Another lovely um, sort of puzzle in the ancient world of sharks is this part of a creature um, called Helicoprion. Now, these are the remains of a creature that have been found for a long time. This lovely spiraling shape were found in fossils. And uh, for a long time, scientists wondered what that was. Um, was it perhaps an ammonite? You would be forgiven for thinking that that spiraling shape could be the shape of a shell from a mollusk. These are relatives of sea snails and chambered nautiluses that are still alive today, and squid and octopus. And they have that similar sort of spiraling shape. So maybe Helicoprion was an ammonite. Well, it wasn't, so that's wrong. Helicoprion's not an ammonite. We've later on discovered a few bits of the cartilage skeleton um, of these creatures. Cartilage doesn't fossilize very well, which is why we generally only find teeth of sharks in the fossil record, but little bits of cartilage were found, and it was worked out that they are, in fact, a type of chimera, the ratfish relatives of sharks that I mentioned earlier. And that this spiraling thing that we found is, uh, is their teeth. Um, but still there are questions to ask. Where does this, did this spiral go on the animal? Was it in its mouth? Was it on its head? Was it on its tail? Where on the body? Because we haven't found any bodies of these creatures. Um, for a long time, this was what people thought they did, that they were sort of spiraling out of their mouths, um, and that maybe they used these strange spirals to snag onto creatures that they were going to eat. Um, but that was also wrong. Recently, a skeleton, um, a fossil has been found um, with much more detail of the animals themselves. Um, and we think this is more likely what the real thing looked like, the helicoprion. had this spiral kind of saw in its throat. Um, it doesn't have teeth on the top, 
it just has this weird spiral which it would use to probably, probably used it to snag things like uh, squid um, that were swimming around, soft-bodied creatures that would get tangled up on those teeth, a little bit like this, the front end of a sawfish today. Um, so that's just a little bit of a mystery that we think we've got closer to solving in, this, in the ancient world of sharks. Um, and I think, to be honest, my favourite ancient shark, and surely one that we all love, is Megalodon. Um, Megalodons were, were really the biggest predatory sharks that ever evolved. This is a reconstruction. We've only ever found their teeth. This is a reconstruction that was made by the gentleman sitting in its jaws. Unfortunately, it's the it has been discovered that that is a bit of an overestimate. Um, they aren't quite that big, um, but they are were still incredibly, incredibly big. So we're talking about this chap, Carcharodon megalodon. It's the same genus as Carcharodon uh, carcaracles, the great white shark. Um, there are some people who don't agree that they were the same group of species, that they were that closely related, but we think there's a good chance that megalodons were basically really big great whites. Um, they first evolved around 16 million years ago, um, and there's questions about when they went extinct. Some people think they, maybe they didn't go extinct, and somewhere in the ocean today there's a megalodon lurking about. I'd love that to be true, but I really don't think so. Um, the problem is that we just have the fossil record to go on, and it is incomplete. And, you know, things don't always fossilise up until the very end of their existence. So we have what we call the LAD, the last appearance date, so the last time we found a fossil. Um, and there are ways of working out quite accurately when we think, based on that, that group actually did go extinct. And it's thought that probably the Megs went extinct perhaps about 2.6 million years ago. So they weren't around for that long, 16 to 2.6 million years, given that sharks evolved first 450 million years ago, right down the bottom. That wasn't that long. The big and exciting question, though, about Megalodon was, well, how big were they? And um, for this, I'm going to need another helper, because I've got some really exciting fossils that we've been lent um, from the museum to play with. So I need one more person to come up and help us. Um, how about, um, where are we going? Let's have a look, let's have a look. Who have we got? Over there, a girl down there with a hairband. Do you want to come? Yes, you, you can keep your hairband on, that's fine. Oh, no, we've got two. I tell you what. You sit down for a minute, I need, I'll need you in a minute. You come out, we need some more volunteers in a sec, so, but if you'd like to come down, that'd be lovely, thank you. Because what I have here, um, which is really very wonderful, um, is a megalodon tooth. So we actually have a real fossilized megalodon tooth from the museum. Um, and the thing about these teeth, this is all we really have left of megalodons. This is all we can use to try and work out how big they were. Thank you so much for coming up. What's your name? Georgia. Georgia, thanks so much for helping. I'm not going to make you very messy this time. This one's much easier and cleaner. So what we have here, um, yeah, this is a, a leg tooth. And what we're going to do is we're going to measure it and try and figure out how big the shark was that this tooth came from. Now, if we have a look on the screen, um, we can see what we're doing is the enamel height. And so that's that sort of top bit of the tooth. And I think hopefully you can all see from here that there is a sort of triangle inside. So what we're going to measure is this top bit from across there. Now, I've got a tape measure, so if you'd like to have a go, what I'd like you to do is try and tell me how far that distance is uh, with the tape measure. I haven't done this, so I haven't, I haven't actually worked this one out myself yet. Um, so, I've got the right end. So, if we imagine there's a line going across the bottom, like here, and then we're going to measure, and you could do it just down the middle there if you like, and we need it in millimetres. So, how's that looking? What's that looking like? I think actually it starts at the bottom there, so probably there. So seven, 70 millimetres, 
Brilliant. So our tooth is 70 millimetres in height. Now, what we've got is the thing, only thing we can really work with are the great white sharks, which we know about. We can measure their teeth and we can measure how big they are. And actually, you get quite a nice uh, graph, which is basically the teeth height along the bottom against the total length of the shark. And you can sort of plot that out, work out how big your tooth is. And if we assume that megalodons were similar to great whites, we'd probably get a good idea of how big um, the megalodon was. And there's actually a little equation we can use um, rather than using that, um, that graph. And so now I'd like you to do, I've got a calculator for you here. Um, we're going to plug in our data. So what we had, 70 millimetres. Yeah. So the equation is 0 0.096. So if you'd like to put that into our calculator, 0 0.096. Zero, there you go. <laughs> 0 0.096, brilliant times by the enamel height. So we measured that, and that was 70 millimetres, so times 70. That's it. Um, and then put it equals, and then minus 0 0.22. Minus 0 0.22. And what have we got? 6.5. So that's the estimate of how big the shark was uh, that this tooth came from, 6.5 metres. That's quite big. Now, the biggest ever meg tooth that we found... Um, this is actually quite a bit smaller than that. The biggest one that's ever been found is 168 millimetres. So that's more like, let's quickly do that, that's more like that big. And based on that measurement of the biggest tooth, um, of 168, we get 16 metres, a 16 metre megalodon. Um, I've got a drawing of what that might look like. Okay, so down the bottom here we've got a great white shark in green, We've got a whale shark in purple. We've got a conservative estimate. The 16 metres is perhaps a conservative estimate, but that's the 16-metre shark. Um, and then a 20-metre one up top. Some scientists think they might have gone to 20. But I want to get a really good idea of what 16 metres looks like. And I need some more volunteers. And uh, you can help me start this out. I've got 16 metres of string. Um, I don't know if we're going to have space. But let's start on stage. Um, if you, George, if you'd like to come this end um, and hold... Oops, that's not that. If you could just hold that piece of string like that. And then we're going to get some more volunteers to, peer, to reel this out. Now, who was the lady who came out before? Do you want to come up? There we go. You come up on stage. We're going to need lots more helpers as we go along. So what I want you to do is take the open end of the string and start walking that way with it. And you, can you let it unfold slowly? Brilliant. There we go. That's great. Is that all right? Is that the best way of doing it? Or do you think maybe the other way around? No, you're all right. Maybe put your fingers in like that. Let's it unwound, yeah? Okay, so you keep walking down the stairs. Is that okay? Yep, keep going, keep going. We've got a lot of string to get through. <laughs> okay, we have a couple more people come out and help. Do you want to come out here? Yep, you can come and help support the string as it goes along. So if you come up on stage, how about you there? Do you want to come up too? You keep going. I tell you what, so you stay there. Actually, what I want you to do, I'm doing this the other way around. Why don't you now take over the string from her and carry on walking down? And what I want you to do, stay there and make sure the string doesn't fall down, okay? So you stay there. You carry on walking up the, up the stairs. So you carry on walking. Yep, so you let go. That's it. Right, there you go. That's what we need. Brilliant. So you want to do the same, actually. Okay, who else is coming up? Okay, you're coming up here. Um, who else have we got? The little girl there. Do you want to come up? Right, so we're really unreeling this. Slowly, slowly. Slow down, slow down. There we go. Just hold on to the string. I just want to make sure it doesn't flop down too much. We'll keep going, keep going. Um, yep, hold on to the string. I just want to make sure it doesn't flop down. Keep going slowly, slowly. Um, how about little boy there? Out you get. Come and help us there. Come, that's fine. Come and help us. We're nearly there. Slow down, slow down, slow down. We're still going. This is still our 16-meter shark. 
I think we need some support in the middle, because otherwise that might, yep, yeah, hold on to that bit. There we go, brilliant. You hold on to, and I think, all right, stop. That's it. That is our 16 meters. Now hold it up high. I want everyone to see how big 16 meters is. That's quite big, I think. Is that quite big? That's quite a big shark. And they might have been 20 meters, so might have carried on to the end of the room. But I think that's rather brilliant. So there we go, 16 meter shark. Thank you very much, everyone, for helping with that, especially to Georgia. If you'd like to go and have a seat, just drop the string down and I'll catch it, collect it later. So those are megalodons. They really were wonderful, wonderful creatures that roamed the oceans. Um, uh, and, and they were the biggest predators of all. Now, I am very sadly running out of time, and I had lots of more things I wanted to tell you, so I'm going to have to quickly go through them. We're learning lots more things about species of sharks, um, not just ancient ones, but the modern ones that are alive today. We're finding new species, like the ninja lantern shark. It's one of the newest shark species to be discovered. It was found in the deep sea um, off the coast of Mexico, lives very deep down. We find things like, this is a mature, fully grown shark. It glows in the dark. One in 10 shark species can glow in the dark. They hide themselves in the blue ocean by matching the blue light that's all around them and hiding their silhouette. We're learning about how sharks move through the oceans and how they go on great journeys. Now we're learning things like the fact that great white sharks go and hide out in the middle of the Pacific Ocean, this place called the Great White Shark Cafe. By tagging them and using satellite tags to track where they move, they go on these immense journeys. The great whites probably come back to shore to eat, um, to eat their favorite food, these uh, elephant seals. This was one of the longest journeys ever recorded for a great white. Nicole the great white was tagged um, in November 2003. She swam all the way across to Australia. And then in 2004, she was found, and she went all the way back again. She traveled 12,400 miles um, in that time. It was absolutely extraordinary. There are wonderful programs now online where you can go and watch sharks um, that have been tagged with satellite tags and can see where they're moving. I checked this one this morning, and you can see that Catherine the shark was seen on the 12th of March, just yesterday, off the coast of Bermuda. So if you want to go and look at sharks that are swimming through the oceans, you can go to... Um, this website to osearch.org, and you can see all these sharks that have been tagged, and we're understanding more than ever about how they roam through the oceans on huge migrations, um, using, the, using the world in ways which we never understood um, before. I'm, I'm going to press on. I'm going to have just a couple more minutes, and then we'll be done, because I really want to tell you about lemon sharks. Um, there's lots that we're still learning about how sharks are perhaps been misunderstood, um, and uh, that's they, they're not just mindless killing machines, they're quite sensitive creatures, they can learn, they can think. And the lemon shark is a creature that lots of studies have shown there's a lot going on with these animals. A wonderful lady called Eugenie Clark, who sadly died last year, that's a picture of me with her there, she's my hero. She studied sharks for years and showed that they could learn things, that they were really quite intelligent. She, learned, she taught them how to, um, to touch targets with their noses um, in return for food, much like you train a dog. Um, and she showed that they can distinguish between different things in the sea, it, it, underwater. And we're still doing more studies like this. I just want to finish off by showing this lovely experiment that was done with lemon sharks quite recently, the same species that Jeannie worked with. Um, and what they've done is that they've taught sharks to press a target, they get some food as reward for that. So they've learned that. So the first group of sharks have been taught this already. They were then put together with sharks that some of them... Had, they hadn't been taught how to do this. So um, they were either grouped together with sharks on the top. So the ones at the front haven't learned how to do this. They haven't been taught how to take the food. And the ones at the back have. 
But in group two, none of them have learned. They're all new to it. They all have to learn from scratch. So the ones at the top are telling the other sharks, push the thing. I know how to do this. You get the food. And the ones underneath have no idea what's going on. And we showed that actually the ones at the top learn faster. They learn from each other. Um, and the ones down below are much slower at learning because none of them know what's going on. So it's like they're, they're able to look at each other. They're able to exchange information. They're able to learn. There's a lot going on with sharks that uh, we're still just learning. And we're figuring out the lives that they lead, the sorts of things they get up to um, in the oceans. It's much more complex, I think, than anyone um, ever really imagined. So I think I should probably stop there. Um, if I've whetted your appetite with fish or sharks or anything more, I'm just trying to write a new book uh, from the eye of the shoal, The Fish Watcher's Guide to Life, the Oceans and Everything. It's not out yet. I'm still working on it. But if you'd like to follow my adventures as I go in search of fish, um, do have a look at my website. Um, and I was going to do a head count, but perhaps we should just think about this and uh, uh, see if you've maybe changed your mind by the end of today uh, as to if you're still scared of sharks. Um, thank you very much for listening, and I hope you've enjoyed my show. Thanks. <laughs>